Go ahead and take a seat this morning. Driving, uh, driving to church this morning, and uh, you know, sometimes when you're putting on an Easter service, you you think about the songs and the transitions and and the sermon and how we're going to do everything. And it was in the midst of that that I sort of forgot that today is Easter. And when I sang that song, even during this song now, I feel that I feel those emotions rising in me to say, today is the day that we celebrate resurrection. Today is the day that we celebrate that he is risen, he is risen indeed. And sometimes we forget that in our lives. And I don't know, this year, you know, last year we were playing a video, and you were watching it at home. Isn't there something wonderful and life-giving about being here this morning, about sharing with one another, about coming to the mountain together to meet God? Today is the celebration of Easter, and we call it Easter because that's where the sun rises. It comes up in the east. It starts there. Every, every new day starts there. And today is the day that we celebrate all the days. And most importantly, that not just is it a new day, but it's a new day that has life and a new day that has meaning because we have a risen Savior. You know, one of the things that we have to learn in our lives is that resurrection gives all things meaning. Resurrection is at the heart of everything. Even when we wake up in the morning and we take that first breath, yes, I know we've been, we've been breathing all night, but when we take that first breath, we are being raised into a new day, into a new moment. And that is a powerful thing for us to, uh, to, to appreciate and be a part of. And I was driving to church this morning, and I thought about this. Don't you just love how everything is starting to green up, how the, the cherry blossom trees are starting to bloom. Don't you just love that? I, I know that some of you out there are winter people, and I just want you to know that God still loves you. Um, but God is a God of spring, summer, and fall. Amen? Okay. But this is something that I've never heard. Even people that love to go to the mountains, even people that love to, to be in the snow and the cold weather, I've never heard anybody say this. I've never heard anybody say, don't you just love it when everything turns brown? Don't you just love it when there's brown as far as the eye can see? Every single person, we, we cannot miss it, that things are coming back to life. The, the plants in people's gardens, things are being raised to new life. Resurrection gives everything meaning. Today is no different. The hard part of resurrection, though, is that it requires death or surrender. You remember in elementary school when you learned about the caterpillar that eats a bunch and gets real fat and then, and then spins a cocoon and then turns into a butterfly or a moth and then lays eggs and right after lays eggs, they usually die. And then the cycle repeats itself. Resurrection requires death or it requires surrender. If we want place in our lives to have new life, we have to lay them down. We have to allow them to to, to be left at one point so that there is space in our lives for something new and something wonderful. When we read the pages of Scripture, we learn that mountains help us to see God. In fact, if you read any kind of Bible at any point, any time the Bible says they went up onto a mountain or they went up onto a high place, that's a cue to say God is about to do something wonderful and mighty and powerful. 
In fact, we should ask the question, what is God doing and what are people doing? Because often those two things are not the same. People are doing one thing, but God is doing something far more powerful and far more wonderful. When you read the Gospels, those first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it it talks a lot about Jesus and the high places, or Jesus and the mountains. Every time we start a a chapter, Jesus is by himself on the mountain, or he's taking his disciples up onto the mountain, or he's doing something that has to involve mountains, and he's trying to teach his disciples that God is at work. The mountains signify God's will, meaning God is going to do something powerful and wonderful anytime he takes people up onto a higher plane or to a high place. When we think about the ministry of Jesus, this is just a list of six. It's by no means a conclusive list. These are six things that involve mountains with Jesus. When Jesus preaches his first sermon in Matthew chapter 5, it says, Jesus goes up onto the mountain. His disciples come to him. And they sit down, and he begins to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are are you if you're struggling with your faith. If your faith is being held by a single thread, I want you to hear God's blessing. And then when he's week 12, he goes to the temple. And remember, there was a thing called the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It's where the temple was built. And at 12 years old, he's teaching everybody around him. And later, he goes back to the temple when he's about 30 years old. And remember, they're selling, they're buying and selling animals in the temple. And Jesus turns over the tables. He says, this is now a den of robbers. It's meant to be a place of prayer. The mountain is where you're supposed to meet God. And you're violating people there. I'm not going to stand for it. It's no coincidence that when Jesus eats the last Passover, which would have been on Friday, takes his disciples where? To the upper room. He wants them to see it. He wants them to see as we're going up the stairs, as we're ascending higher, God is going to begin to do something that will change the course of human history. And after they have eaten and after he has washed their feet, they leave and they go to a place called Gethsemane, the garden, also known as the Mount of olives. That's where Jesus prays his final prayers about about his disciples, about his mission, and yes, even about us. Calvary or Golgotha, the place where Jesus is crucified, is a high place outside of the city. That's where they take Jesus. They make him carry his cross, and then Simon helps him, and he goes up to this high place called Calvary, where the price of sins is paid. And then at the end, the ascension, right at the end of the Gospels or the beginning of the book of Acts, it says Jesus goes up onto the mountain and his disciples come to him and he blesses them. And then he ascends to be back with the Father. You know, when we think about the crucifixion and the death of Jesus, I want to tell you that what they, what they would do is they would always do these things outside of the city. Calvary and Golgotha was not a beautiful garden with grassy fields. It was quite literally where they dumped trash. It was a landfill. And they would take criminals 
to this trash heap which smelled terrible and was filled with death and destruction. They would march them up there, and that's where they would put them to death. And they made their families walk to the trash heap to see their loved ones for the last time. The people wanted to humiliate Jesus. The people saw humiliation, but what God was doing was exaltation. God said, I don't care if it's a high place outside of the city. I don't care if it's a trash heap. I'll do my work there if I need to. And that's where God paid the greatest price. That's where God put to death the hopelessness that we sometimes feel. It was on the trash heap amidst the garbage that the Son of Man gave his life. But the Spirit of God intercepted the air and did its great work. And when we celebrate Easter, we start to engage the story of Jesus. One of the ways that we can share in the journey of Jesus is through this very simple act called communion. And our students are going to grab some baskets. They're going to pass out. I hope we have enough. More of you showed up than we thought today. Go ahead and do that today. This is COVID now. We have to do these hermetically sealed, sterilized Supper, the communion, the, the sharing, something that happened when Jesus went with his, his followers to the upper room. And they were eating a Passover meal, and the disciples really had no idea what was about to happen. They had no idea that Jesus was about to do God's most significant work. And it was in that place that Jesus took these simple symbols. Aren't you just grateful that thousands of years later, while the symbols might be a little fancier and more modern, they're really exactly the same. The bread that represents a body broken. Blood, a cup that represents blood poured out. The price of sacrifice, the price of freedom, the price of hope. God gave these things willingly for our sake. As I said before, we can never take hold of resurrection until we confront and come face to face with death and surrender. We're not supposed to feel guilt when we take these. We're supposed to do it with thanksgiving. We're supposed to share in this with grateful hearts, not feel awful about ourselves and how bad we are, which sometimes is what we make it mean. It's meant to be a reminder Do you know it's funny? Jesus never tells his people to celebrate the Lord's Supper. He gives it to them and he says, not do this in celebration. What does he say? Do this in remembrance. Because we don't celebrate death. We celebrate what comes after. The Bible tells us, and I'm going to read out of the message today, even though it says exactly the same thing. It's just a beautiful passage. Matthew 26 Beginning in verse 26, it says, During the meal, Jesus took and blessed the bread. He broke it, gave it to his disciples, 
eat. This is my body. Taking the cup and thanking God, he gave it to them. Drink this, all of you. This is my blood. God's new covenant poured out for many people for the forgiveness of sins. I'll not be drinking wine from this cup again until the new day when I'll be drinking it with you in the kingdom of my Father. Thousands of years, and yet the symbols are the same. And so this morning, as we share in this together, may it be a remembrance, not a moment of how bad you are, but of how good God is, how much God has done so that we can experience life. And so, Father, today, as we share in this bread, as we, as we take it, God, may, may we not just take the Lord's Supper today. <laughs> God, would you honor us by allowing us to feel it today? And as we eat this bread and as we drink this cup, may it, may it remind us in our deepest souls that you are the God that gives good gifts we are never too far gone from you. God, that you were willing to give up everything so that we can have life. As we follow you into death, as we surrender our lives, God, would you work in the midst of us. Please bless this bread. of weeks ago, we had a night of worship. Some of you were able to come to that. We had this cross on the floor. People uh, wrote down the things that they needed prayers for, things that they needed to surrender, things that they needed to give up or lay down. And last week, we left it just as is with all the notes and the prayers on there. And I asked Brad this week, I said, I want you to take all the notes down. Because what we know about God is this. It may not be perfect in your life right now, but God hears your prayers. And you don't have to keep badgering him and asking him to do his work he will do it. And while your requests have ascended to the Father, the nails stay behind as a reminder that you asked God. As a reminder that God has paid for your requests. 
whatever you're trying to surrender, whatever you're trying to give up, whatever you're trying to move through. God will meet you there. And God will do his work. You know, the ministry of Jesus begins and ends on the mountain. His first sermon is on the mountain. And when he ascends to the Father, it happens on the mountain. The ministry of Jesus also begins and ends with blessing. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? We've been to church so many times, we think that the ministry of Jesus begins with guilt or finger pointing or saying, you're not good enough, or if you could just do better. That's not where Jesus starts. The first sermon that he preaches, he goes onto the mountain, and what are his first words to his people? You're blessed. And those are not words that they've heard a whole lot. They've heard you're wrong. You're really messing this up. You're not doing what I've asked you to do. And Jesus doesn't start there. He starts with words of blessing. And after he has given his life and he ascends to the Father, he says he, he blesses. He blesses his disciples. He blesses people around him. Because he doesn't want them to get stuck on the garbage heap. What he wants us to do is he wants us to climb the mountain to meet Jesus and become the resurrection. Resurrection is not just something that we celebrate this week. It's actually something that we become when we take the death of Christ into our lives. We allow it to wash away things that need to be gone and create space for new life to emerge. In fact, if you're in your life right now and you use any of these, these terms, and I'm just having a really hard time right now. I don't know why this is happening to me. I wish I could, I wish I could get past this. I wish this wasn't an issue in my life anymore. If you're using any of those words, God is challenging you to climb the mountain, and he will meet you there. In fact, anytime we feel the words of challenge in our lives, God is trying to cue us off to say, I'm about to do something significant. And when you see it, it'll be powerful. You will, you will meet me face to face, and you will become light. And whatever is in the dark corners of your life will no longer be there. I will give you resurrection life. And you'll find something you've never found before. I thought today, maybe one of the best ways that we can do this is by getting quiet before the Lord. calling for his voice in our lives and allowing him to do what we cannot do. Have you ever asked God for his life to flow into you?
Have you ever asked the resurrection not to just be something that you remember, but something that becomes a part of you? In a couple of minutes, I'm just going to ask us to bow our heads. And I'm actually going to read the prayer. Part of the prayer that Jesus prays for you and for me when he is in the garden. Right before he is about to experience death, he prays for us. He doesn't pray that we would experience death. He prays that we would hang on long enough to find resurrection. So I'd like to ask you to just bow your heads as I read these words from John 17. These are the words that Jesus prays for you and for me. Jesus says, I'm praying not only for my disciples, but also for those who will believe in me. That's you. Because of them and their witness about me, the goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. So they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe in you and that, that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I give to them. So they'll be as unified together as we are, I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you have sent me and loved them in the same way that you loved me. Father, I want those that you gave me at Journey Church to be with me right now, right where I am, so that they can see my glory, the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there even was a world. Righteous Father, the world has never known you, but I have known you. And these disciples know that you have sent me on this mission. I have made your very being known to them, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them just as I am in them. Father, today, Father, today we just thank you that we get to celebrate this year. Father, we just pray that as you hear our prayers, as we keep our, our heads bowed and our eyes closed, God, may we just begin to share with you the things that are on our hearts and in our lives. Maybe those areas of darkness that we long to be rid of but never have seemed to be able to get out of our lives. Father, may we just call those things out in our lives. Father, may we just know that you are the God who has made a way so that we could find our way back to you. 
Father, today I know that there are, are people in this place that are resistant. Maybe we all are in some ways. That we don't want to lay things down because we know that we'll have to let them go. And we don't want to do that. We're comfortable with the things that we struggle with. We like the things that we've held on to, God. And we pray today that the power of your resurrection would overwhelm the things that we hold to in death. Maybe you're here this morning and you just need somebody to pray for you. We're going to have some people down front. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be big. All you have to do is have courage and be brave and hold out your hands and make a move. And God will do something powerful. Maybe the only thing you can say is, my marriage is in trouble. And they will just simply pray, God bless their marriage, bring resurrection to their marriage. Maybe you have struggles in your life. Maybe it's illness. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe it's wounds. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's something bad that's happening at work, or maybe you feel like a bad mom or a bad dad. Lay it down today. Don't hold on to it. This is a day where we experience the resurrection of Jesus. And if we don't lay it down, it is not because he is not there. It's because we will not climb the mountain to give it to him. I want you to stand as we begin to anticipate a time of worship, but I want you to, to keep praying. I want you to keep lifting those prayers to the Lord. In fact, I want you to be unashamed today. Just start praying out loud. Just start calling those things out. Sometimes when we say it, just start asking God for what you want. Ask God what you want him to take away. Ask him for what you need in your life. Ask him to do what you have been unable to do. Pray out loud if you need to. Just say, God, I need you to take this part of my life. I need you to do your work. I need you to come into this place. I'm tired of death. I'm tired of all these things. I need your resurrection. Just call it out. Call it out today. If you need to come down and there's a line, just wait in line. We've got time. We've got songs. Don't leave today without experiencing the resurrection don't just remember it today. Feel it today. Know that it's real. Know that God wants to give us life and truth and power. And let him do that. Let God give us resurrection. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus is in the tomb. And boy, aren't we good at building tombs in our lives taking all the things that we struggle with and shoving them in a hole and sealing it over. And yet, on Easter Sunday, when the disciples and the women went to the tomb to find death, they realized that the stone had been rolled away, that God had exposed what he wanted to do, and he had poured life where there was only death. Today, if you don't have life, there is no reason other than you. It's because you're choosing to stay in the tomb and you're choosing to surround yourself with death. And God says no more. Today is the day of resurrection. You can leave different today than when you came in. You can take the presence of God and allow it to change you and shape you and mold you and make you different and resurrect you to a new life. Don't just let the nature that you see 
God has given.